I hate to be this way, but if like you are counterfeiting one of these, congratulations. That's impressive work. It's impressive work. Don't do it, kids. I'm sure after doing like writing this, I have to be on some kind of watch list for the things that I research. Hey, science pals. Welcome back to another episode of The Random Theory, where we discover curious topics and curious things. I'm your host, Grace. I'm Michael. And Michael is our fun guest today. Josh is out um, today on the podcast, so I brought in Michael to join us. What's up, everybody? I'm Michael. I'm Grace's boyfriend. I didn't know if it's knowledge to the public or not. It is knowledge to the public. You guys have heard me talk about Michael before. Now you just get to see him in the flesh. This is me. I'm from Colorado originally. I'm born and raised there. I now live in New York here in the Big Apple, work in finance. I'm a big outdoors guy, which is hard to come by here in the city, but make do nonetheless in Central Park, having a great time. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's me. We get it done. We get it done. So we're happy to have Michael on. Give him a warm welcome, science pals. Be kind. Thanks, guys. Um, how's life been? Life been good? Life's been good. Um, trying to make it through the winter season. Yeah, we just got back from a wild vacation that yeah. we will never go on again. Basically, here's the rundown. We'll give it to you short and quick. I think we can mostly summarize this vacation in like a quick sentence. I think we can too. When you're when you're going international, check your passports ahead of time. Check your passports ahead of time and don't eat the salad. Don't eat the salad. Don't get food poisoning. Don't eat the salad. <laughs> I got food poisoning and it just made the trip not great. But we went scuba diving. We did. I learned how to scuba dive. It was great. Add it on the list of things I can do. Well, today we are jumping into another podcast uh, topic and episode that was recommended by our audience of course, through ratings and reviews. Uh, if you guys have a podcast topic that you want us to research and talk about, make sure you drop it in a rating and review or email us at randomtheorypod at gmail.com so that we can get your podcast ID on the list. So today's rating and review, Michael's actually going to read one for us. So from GCUVUVUVUVUVU, you know, <laughs> Um, subject line, I'm back again. Hi guys, I'm Alex. I love Snappy Science, but before the first Snappy Science, I thought it was a separate podcast. But now I know that it's not. OGRT. You're OGRT. OGRT. We love that. Joke for Josh. If you're American when you enter the bathroom, and you're American when you leave the bathroom, what are you when you're in the bathroom? I don't know. European. <laughs> that was a good one. European. <laughs> that one actually really made me laugh. That was I was not expecting that one. We're ready for it. That was awesome. All right. Was that it? Props. I also want to know how zippers work. That's a good episode. I'm very curious how zippers work as well. Zippers are interesting. And then they dropped a bunch of emojis. The, a lot. The science pal... The Elmenheimer flask, the test tube, all the science all things. My podcast um, comes from a listener email today. This is, they titled it T-Core Pod. And it comes from Jonas Thompson. 
They said, hello, my name is Jonas and I'm 11. I was looking around for a new podcast when I remembered Grace mentioned something about a podcast. So I looked it up on Apple Podcasts and found your podcast. How many times did you say podcasts, Jonas? <laughs> this is a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I'm really glad you found the podcast. <laughs> I've watched a few, but I've loved it so far. Oh, I'm so glad, Jonas. I was wondering how the blue strip in $100 bills is put into the page and how they mint coins. That's a good question. It's a very good question. So today, Jonas, this podcast is for you. We're talking about how they make money, what is money, how they make coins, and what is that little strip for? It actually has a very unique origin story of why it is there. It's new, right? It is new. It hasn't always been there. Has not always been there. Very, very fascinating. And we're about to jump into that podcast right after this break. And we're back. I think the fact that how old? 11 years old? 11. Has seen $100 bills. That's awesome. Going to do very well for himself. He is. I'm also glad that he's very interested in it and noticed that it was new. Yes. All right. So Michael actually works in the money field. We won't talk a lot about it. I do. I do work with a little bit of money. It's pretty cool. Not going to lie. Interesting field. Very interesting. So when I was doing this podcast, I was like, this feels right that Michael would be in this podcast. Right up my alley. It is. It's right up your alley. You can speak to it a little bit for us. Hopefully. Hopefully. I don't want the audience to be underwhelmed at my lack of how money is made. <laughs> How many steps do you think there are to making money? If you had to guess. You've got like sourcing, creating the materials, like the bill itself, maybe the design, the print, the color and the cut, maybe six. That was really close. Seven. Okay. There's seven steps that we're going to walk through. Step number one. <laughs> we first have to talk about these special paper and ink. Special paper. And special ink. It's all very, very important to this process. All right. Step one. Special paper and ink. Got it. Got some special paper. Got some special ink. So with the special paper and ink, while the paper we know and love is made out of wood pulp, money is made out of a special currency paper composed of 75% cotton and 25% linen. You could wear it like a shirt. You could. You could wear a money shirt. But I don't think I recommend it because... <laughs> feel like that would kind of be maybe illegal or a waste of money that as well <laughs> or it could literally cost however much money you used on the shirt maybe more i don't know how that would work <laughs> someone make one and let us know <laughs> <laughs> so this special composition is composed and produced by crane Cur currency in dalton massachusetts so this paper if we can even call it that, is made specifically for the BEP, which is the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. Whoa, I didn't even know they existed. Yeah, we call it the BEP. We're calling it the BEP. 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 It's actually illegal for anyone other than the BEP to have this special composition in their possession. Like the actual materials. Yes, the 75% cotton and 25% linen. Illegal. Illegal, because obviously you're printing money. Without the ink and everything, just illegal to have. Yeah, just illegal to have that composition. Wow. In your possession. That's crazy. It is kind of crazy to think about. So similarly, the BEP designs and produces their own inks. 
So all U.S. paper money features green ink on the backs, while the faces use a combination of inks. This includes black ink, color shifting ink, and that's in the lower corner of the $10 and $100 notes, which are dollar bills. And metallic ink, which is for the freedom icon. Also, if you're not an American listening to this, I'm sure your own currency has a very similar they probably have their process. Own BEP. Yeah, they have their own BEP. <laughs> I feel like a BEP is almost like an artist, is what it sounds like. And they they have their special canvases mm-hmm. and their own inks. Yeah, essentially. Now we go into currency design. This is the real art. This is the real art. So we've got the paper. Now we're moving into the art. So in the world of cryptocurrencies and contactless payment systems, it's easy to dismiss cash as being kind of boring, retrograde, and just kind of like this illustrated scraps of cotton linen, like paper, if you will. It's just crammed in the pa- into like back pockets, slammed on bars. But there's actually a lot more that goes into these banknotes than initially meets the eye. I'm sure there is. There's probably a ton of work that goes into it. Yeah, greenbacks hide a host of high-tech security features that most people will never notice, despite handling these pieces of money every single day. I think that's what's so cool is like we're talking about this podcast and like we're talking about all these things, but like literally you can go grab, don't don't go grab a $1 bill, but like, you know, five and up. The $1 bill is just kind of like that poor guy. Have you have you have you ever found a nice crisp, clean $1 bill? No. Ever. Ever. No. I, I, I haven't either. I don't think they They're exist. always got like rips in it and crumpled <laughs> up. They're dirty. They're absolutely beat to crap. They're, always. They're filthy. Always. But yeah, go grab like a five and up and like look at it. Very impressive, honestly. So there's features that you'll never notice. And even though we deal with these day to day, the visual appearance of each denomination is created by a bank note designer. And in cases like the current $100 bill can take as long as 10 years Yes, 10 years to make it into circulation. All the work that goes into it took them 10 years? 10 years. Was that because of the design itself? The design, the redesign. They had two administrative changes, two president changes. And they had to make the blue strip. Yes, they had to make the strip. Do you know why it had to be redesigned? The $100 bill? Yes. No, I don't even know where I'd guess. So it had to be redesigned in 2013 after there was basically really high-tech counterfeiting going on. It was based out of North Korea. Got it. And the new note features some of the most advanced security design in the world. I guess that makes sense. If you were to counterfeit any bill, it'd probably be the 100, right? The one with yes. the most value. Yeah. I think I read that 70, like the reason it had to be so high-tech and they had to do what they had to do was because like 70% of our American dollar goes overseas. Yeah. To other countries. We are a net importing country. Yeah. So like 70% of our American dollar goes overseas and gets put into circulation around the world. So it's not like we're just making money for here. It's we're making money for the world. Our bills are all over. Yeah. So the special features in this are it cannot be photocopied. It reveals some of its secrets only under infrared and ultraviolet lights of banks and vending machines. And this includes the security ribbon that's allegedly impossible for even North Korea counterfeits to replicate. I think what's crazy is that they have that ribbon on every single bill. Every single bill. So I'm going to have you look at this while I talk about it. So let's talk about that 3D security ribbon. If you tilt the note, which is a bill... 
If you tilt the note back and forth while focusing on the blue ribbon, you'll see the bells change to 100s as they move. This is very true. Is that not crazy? This is very true. It's so then the Liberty when, Bell, yeah? Yes. So then you tilt the note back and forth, the bells and 100s move side to side. If you tilt it side to side, they move up and down. Wow. And the ribbon is actually woven into the paper, not printed on it. So you can go right now and pick up a $100 bill and actually lift up the holographic part and look underneath it. Wow. So what's crazy is it's not woven through like the back. Whoa, look at that. It's crazy. I didn't realize it was woven in. But you can go, like you can use tweezers and like this lifts up. Because you can see it. It's only under that very, very first layer. A funny story actually. I heard back, way back when, I think it was 1800s, when the bills used to get ripped, they used to sew their money. Sew their money? Sew their money back together. Now you just go to the bank and exchange it and be like, right. I ripped it. But back, it's it's back to your earlier point, how it's 75% cotton. Oh, so it couldn't rip as easy. No, but when it did, you, they legit sewed their money back together. Oh, like clothes. I see what you're saying yeah. now. So it was like clothing. They sewed it back together if it That's rips. So like if you had a rip in a dollar bill, they sewed it back together. That's crazy. Obviously, a $100 bill back then is clearly worth way more than, you know, a $100 yeah, bill yeah, is yeah, worth yeah. now. So it was a big deal. Yeah. So recent new de designs for the denominations of the 5 to 100 use similar portraits and historical images um, to previous notes, but include subtle background colors to make the, the bills more difficult to counterfeit. This thing is intricate. I don't know if you've ever looked really close in a dollar bill or a hundred, but it is intricate between the pieces that you don't see with the naked eye that you need infrared light and then there's different colors and layers and all this stuff and like the whole background is a special thing like it's it's so intricate it's kind of crazy okay so now let's talk about now that we know all about the goods of the printing let's talk about the offset printing for notes of $5 and above, with subtle background colors, offset printing is the first stage of production once a design is finalized. The colored background design is duplicated on a film negative and transferred to a thin steel printing plate with light-sensitive coating, and then it's exposed to ultraviolet light. This is called burning a plate. Ultraviolet light. What ultraviolet. does that do? Um, so that when you look at this under UV light, it looks different. Got it. That's how they implement all these imaging. Yes. So the background colors are then printed on the BEP's Simulton presses. Simulton. Simulton presses. Simulton. Which are state of the art, may I mention. Uh, high speed rotary presses. I'd imagine these presses only sit with the BEP. Yes. I'd imagine no one else probably has a press. No. It's probably also illegal to have a press. I'm sure it's illegal <laughs> to have a press. <laughs> the ink is then transferred from the printing plate of rubber blanket cylinders, which then transfer the ink to the paper as it passes through these blankets. I think the rubber is what stamps the ink onto the paper. Yeah. Right? Almost yeah. like a stamp, right? Yep. And then the printed sheets are dried for 72 hours before... They continue. That's a good point. I've never seen a smudge on a dollar bill. So that's a great point. What do they do when they mess up a print? 
They probably have to get rid of all of the money. You would think. But misprinted money is also called error currency. And it usually sells quite well at auctions. They sell it. People get it. If it makes it into circulation, people get it and sell it. Oh, you mean if they did not catch the misprint, right. the error. Yep, the error. And it goes into circulation yes. and you happen to get your hands on a bill Yes. that has a smudge. Yep. You can then go resell that for a higher price. Yes. It's more valuable. Yes. Messed up money is valuable. Everything I've learned about art is backwards now. Backwards. It's crazy. For, for all of you out there who's ever been told that you have to color in the lines, you now know that it's more valuable to color outside the lines. That's very true. <laughs> so most error collectors expect notes to be in perfect condition. So a common error on a note is in perfect condition, usually auctions for around $300. So that's literally like a common error. And unusual or rare encountered errors can sell for thousands of dollars. We're talking about one bill. We're talking about one bill. So I was doing a little research and I was like, what is the rarest one? And it's a $1 bill and it's like completely folded over on itself, but made it into circulation. And there's literally like a handful of them. And it was selling for like $150,000. A $1 bill. A $1 bill. Is worth $150,000. Yes. I'm, I'm shocked that it made it into circulation. I am as well, because there is a step in here that is currency inspection. So now we go to plating or intaglio printing. Intaglio. There it is. You know. Plate or intaglio printing. <laughs> I can't do it. So intaglio printing is used for the portraits, vignettes, the scroll work, the numbers, the lettering the that is unique to each denomination. Denomination is the 5, the 10, the 20, the yep. 50, yep. 100, so on and so on. From an Italian word meaning to cut or engrave, intaglio refers to design being skillfully carved into steel dies with sharp tools and acids. That sounds brutal. It sounds so brutal, which is why the process is sometimes called plate or steel plate printing. So some engravers specialize in portraits and vignettes while other experts excel in lettering and script. So that's the crazy part is like the when they're cutting these out, like they're cutting out the steel that is printing that image. So it can be printed over and over and over and over and over again. I think the detail that goes into these is impressive too. It's crazy. Can you imagine trying to cut like I hate to be this way, but if like you are counterfeiting one of these Congratulations. That's impressive work. It's impressive work. Don't do it, kids. I'm sure after do, like writing this, I have to be on some kind of watch list for the things that I research because... But I wonder if they just get hired on. You did this illegal work for so long and like you're so good at it that like we'll hire you on you. to make sure this never happens again. Seriously, yeah. So the images are then combined and transferred into a printing plate through the process of sidrography, which the engraved plates are mounted on the press and then covered with ink. A wiper removes the excess ink, leaving ink only for recessed image areas. The paper is laid on top of the plate, and then when pressed together, ink from the recessed areas, which are the areas that are like pulled away of the plate, is pulled onto the paper to create the finished image oh no the recessed areas are going to be the raised areas so the green engraving on the back of the u.s currency is printed on high-speed sheet-fed rotary intaglio presses 
And then back printing sheets require 72 hours to dry and then the cure before moving to the face in Taglio Press. So it takes like six days to make one $100 bill. A whole week. A whole week to make, I mean, they make them in like very large quantities. So do you think these are constantly running? You think they're constantly making money? I don't know. See, I was going to, I was going to ask you that. Like if a hundred dollar bill is made and it's just sitting with the BEP, does it have any monetary value? It doesn't technically have value until it goes into circulation in the economy. Really once the Fed gets a hold of it. Yeah. Because the BEP and the Fed are two different things. Yeah, the bet makes the money. Yes. And then you have the Fed. The yes. Fed is... They're, they're what is the Fed for someone that's listening that does not know? The Fed is the Federal Reserve. Yes. They are the central bank. Okay. So the Fed is the... They are the ones deciding what is going to circulation. Do we need more money in circulation? Stop putting money in. They're technically separate from the government. Right, because they actually buy this money from the bet. They're supposed to be independent. Okay. It is a good point, though, because they do get rid of old money, and then they put new bills out in circulation. Mm -hmm. I will say it's a dangerous game for anyone wondering, like, why don't we just keep printing money? Yeah. Zimbabwe just started printing money. They printed bills with a denomination of, we have $100 bills is the largest that we have. Mm Mm-hmm. They were printing bills with $10 trillion on a single bill. $10 trillion on a single bill? $10 trillion. (laughs) What? It sent the country into hyperinflation, ultimately meaning that their currency is worthless. And a 10 trillion... So what is hyperinflation for someone that like doesn't know what it is? Because we're facing inflation right now as a country. Inflation, yeah. I mean, there's kind of two ways to put it. There's consumer inflation. Okay. Which is... How expensive are the goods that you're buying? Okay. Right? Right. Anyone who probably eats, shops, goes to the grocery store who buys a carton of eggs probably realizes that those eggs are more expensive than they used to be a year ago. Yes. We bought eggs last weekend and they were $9. Coffee. Our coffee was $20. $20 for a bag of coffee. For a little ground up thing of coffee. But that's inflation, correct? It is. Okay. That's exactly what inflation is. So the price goes up because there's more money in circulation. Yep. Gotcha. There's also like inflation too on the supplier side too of how much money they have to pay for their goods to make the product. Gotcha. It's passed through. Anyways, inflation is how expensive things can get, right? Mm -hmm. By printing more money, you're devaluing how much it's worth. You're devaluing the dollar. Exactly. Because a $10 trillion bill in Zimbabwe, when they were printing these, could buy you a loaf of bread. You're talking about a loaf of bread that costs $10 trillion. I don't even know how to process that. Exactly. And so their money essentially became worthless. So for anyone asking, like, can you just print a bunch of money and become rich? No. For an individual, you might. Right. If a country starts really doing that, their money is going to be worthless to others. That makes sense. Which is why like when Zimbabwe was like, I have a, they couldn't do anything with their money because everyone was like, we're not going to accept this. Like your dollar means nothing. Yeah. Gotcha. Sorry if you're from Zimbabwe. The next step is currency inspection. So the BEPS offline currency inspection system, which is OSIS, this integrates 
computers, cameras, and sophisticated software to thoroughly analyze and evaluate untrimmed printed sheets. So these are when they're just one big giant sheet. This system ensures proper color registration and ink density. And within three-tenths of a second, it can determine whether a sheet is acceptable or must be rejected. They determine it that fast? That fast. Three-tenths of a second. The sheet's good. The sheet's bad. If you think I make my decisions fast. The OSIS. OSIS. OSIS does it real fast. OSIS has everybody beat. Yeah. So the same equipment trims and cuts the 32 sheet subjects in half and creates two 16 subject sheets. Then approved sheets move to the final printing stage, which is accomplished by the BEPS currency overprinting process equipment and packaging. I just can't believe that. Like the ink density is a thing that is looked at. Yeah. How thick the ink is on the dollar bill. But think about it. If we had money that was very inconsistent, what what, what could we do with it? How would you know if, you if would, it's like a fake one too? Exactly. Yeah. This is like consistency's key. Yeah, it's so this is so crazy to me to even think about like the little things, like the science that goes into every little detail on these dollar bills. It's crazy. It's truly a work of art. It really is. This is what COPAC does. They add two serial numbers, black Federal Reserve seals, green Treasury seal, the Federal Reserve identification number, and is then added to each note. And it's these are really important because it allows them to track it, see where it is, where is it, what's it doing, all those good things. So what's interesting is there are... 99,999,999 notes. So the serial number can be DG999999A. And then that one will be followed by DG00000001B. Wow. So I have LK. So you have LK? Yes. LK. Zero one eight nine one nine two zero. So this is the one million eight hundred ninety one thousand nine hundred twentieth bill of section C in group LK. I think so. So it said the modern serial number consists of two prefix letters and eight numbers and one suffix letter. So the first prefix number indicates the series. For example, series 1999 is designed by the letter B. The second prefix letter indicates the Federal Reserve Bank to which the note was issued. Federal Reserve Bank K. So the year that one was designed was year L. Okay, so after... It has everything else printed on it. It is then cut, trimmed, and packaged. So complete currency sheets are then stacked and passed through two guillotine cutters. The first horizontal cut leaves the note in pairs, while the second vertical cut produces individual finished notes. From there, a machine creates and shrink wraps bundles of 1,000 notes. Four bundles are then combined into a brick of 4,000 notes, and four bricks are combined into a group of 16,000 notes. Wow. $1.6 million in a brick. Wow. That's a lot of money. So these are shrink-wrapped again and stored in the BEPS vault until they're picked up by the Federal Reserve. So what what are your views on coins? I think it probably takes more money and labor to maintain the coin system and make it. I agree. Then they're worth themselves nowadays. I agree with that. 
I remember my favorite things as kids required coins, though. Yes, they did. Some of my favorite things. Yeah, and as a kid, like they were coins were the best. They were We'd the collect best them. because you got to put them in a piggy bank. Yep. You got to walk down the street. I did with my brothers and sister, and go to King Supers, our grocery store, and there's like you know those like oh you get a bouncy ball vending machines yeah get a yo-yo or a bouncy ball yeah dude made your entire week it made your entire week off of a quarter yeah who knew a quarter could take you so far it's so great so jonas wanted to know about the coin production system and i didn't really spend a lot of time researching it sorry jonas i'm apologizing because i i just really felt like i was like i just don't feel like coins are that they're not as intricate as a dollar bill. They're not. And when you really look at a $100 bill or you look at a, a 20, like you really see the intricacies here. Like you see the detail, the printing, the layers, like you really can appreciate it. And I'm not saying that like coin production isn't important because it is. And the U.S. Mint is very important. But with that being said, we're going to run through this last part for coins i heard the original coin did not look like a coin it was like a bean i heard a bean bean we're talking like 2000 bc are you talking i was about to say are you talking about like before they even knew what they were exchanging and trading one another yes but they had a currency and it was a coin so i do know that there is some evolution here I know we didn't even talk about like the history of money and like where it came from and how it came to be. I just went straight into like. Which is a great history lesson that yeah. most people will probably learn about in school too. Maybe that's another conversation then. Because I feel like it could be. These notes back in the day used to give you rights to a certain amount of gold. Oh, I do remember that. I do remember that. Like everything was backed by gold. And I remember like the notes back then, they were, they were literally notes. Right. It wasn't just a little piece of paper like you and I carry around now. Like it was they a bank were note. notes. Like yeah. it was a big it was a big piece of paper. Right. And because before we had notes or even like a gold, which is a common, you know, source of value. Yeah. It was a barter system. Right. Which I'll is give essentially you this for like that. could you imagine now when you go to Ch Chipotle, let's say. And you're oh my like, gosh. And you're like, hey, I'll give you a like cow. six forks that I have in my drawer at home in exchange for a burrito. <laughs> and like you're just exchanging things. That'd be crazy. I would give them a chicken for a week's worth of food. See, but it's like, how do you derive your value? It's all relative. I'm giving them a chicken so that they can continue making meat. And for some people, that chicken might be worth a lot more than other people. That's crazy. But for a That's common crazy. denominator now. We have the bill. Long it's story short, crazy. that's the evolution of the dollar. I like it. In about eight seconds. Good work. <laughs> Thank you for the history lesson. <laughs> okay, coins. The U.S. Mint makes the nation's circulation of coins. And so basically, once the Secretary of Treasury approves a design, the Mint medallion artists transfer a line drawing into a three-dimensional sculpture. And then they sculpt and finalize the, and then digitize. And then the Mint makes the coin and then stamps the design onto the coin. Interesting. Yes. So step one is blinking. And basically what they do there is they buy metal coils of metal 1,500 feet long to make the correct specifications for each dimension of the coin. Wow. 
The blanking press punches out the blanks like a cookie cutter at a rate of 14,000 blanks per minute. 14,000 a 14,000 a minute. Do you know how much that is an hour? How many? Like 840,000. So after that, you go to annealing. And this is when the blanks are annealed. Uh, and that prepares them for striking. And annealing changes the physical properties of the metal to make it softer and allow it to be shaped without breaking. So annealing blanks will hold the design better during the striking period. This furnace heats up to 1,600 degrees Fahrenheit. And it is an oxygen-free environment. And then they are dropped into a quenching tank filled with slippery water <laughs> to quickly lower the temperature. And the slippery water is a mixture of water, citric acid powder, which is, yes, very slippery, and lubricants that keep the blanks from sticking together. Then the coins are washed and dried, and then they are upset. So upsetting means to upset the edge of the coin to create raises in the rim. So that's what keeps creates the sides. Oh, yeah. So the upsetted mill feeds the blanks into grooved slightly narrower than the diameter. And this pushes the metal up around the edge to form a rim. And kind of like when you like pinch a cake or pinch a pie. Yeah. Like the edges of it. It's like that, essentially. So this is when they go and they go and get striking. So it takes 35 to 100 metric tons of pressure to strike the coin. Wow. I would think if they come out of the, the annealing. annealing stage when they're that hot, mm -hmm. it still takes that much force to put a print on it. Yeah. Other presses strike with up to 540 tons of force. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And that's the pressure used to create the America the Beautiful five ounce silver coin. <laughs> Which is crazy. It's a lot of work for 25 it is a cents. Lot, literally. So the circulating coin press strikes 750 coins per minute. The Philadelphia Mint produces 47,250 coins per minute if all of its 63 presses are operational. The Denver Mint, where you're from, yeah. makes 45,500 coins per minute with its 54 coin presses. That results in millions of circulating coins each day. Wow. What would be sad is if the coin ends up dying. So I did a little research because I was curious. I was like, will it ever die? Like we've talked about getting rid of the coins. They're obsolete. They're not necessary. We have. I thought I heard something maybe yeah. a year or two ago about the coins no longer being accepted. Yeah, that's false. They're, like It would never happen basically no. is what... The government has said like it will never happen that we stop using the coin so after the coins pass inspection the circulating coins are counted and weighed and the coins fall through a counting machine before they're dumped into bulk storage bags and the bags are weighed and stored until they travel to the federal reserve bank for distribution around the country so there it is coins coins paper money moolah all of it so much work goes into these things. Work in science that you didn't even know was there. No, it makes you uh, kind of realize that you do have to work hard to get your hands on these things. You do. Guys, if you found this podcast interesting, make sure you send it to your friends, family, cousins, anyone that you think would appreciate listening to how money is made or listening to us have a conversation. That's upside down. I'm new here. <laughs> <laughs>
Guys, please leave us a rating and review if you enjoyed the podcast. It really means the world to us and it helps us push this podcast out to other individuals so that they can learn super fun, cool, and random things. Um, I had fun today. Did you have a good time? This was awesome. If you guys liked having Michael around, let us know because we might have him come on like once a month, you know, if, if you guys think he did a good job. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you could join. It was awesome learning about money. Yeah. I feel like we should go get the microscope out or a magnifying glass and stare at the money and really admire it. We really should. I'm going to come to appreciate the bill a whole lot more after this. Good. Me too. All right, science pals. We will see you next week when we have another cool science topic to talk about with you. Bye.